0: Welcome to the Meeting Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Frampton, the CEO and co-founder of SalesQ. And we have a first and very exciting episode with my dear friend, Josh Kirkham, who we actually sat beside each other as BDRs on our first day, and we've gotten the chance to watch each other's careers blow up from there. We're going to talk a little bit around how you were able to go from VDR to senior manager at HubSpot in just four years. We cover not just the LinkedIn profile, the up and to the right success, but we try to go one step deeper than that and understand the shitty parts, for lack of a better term, that are within that nobody gets to hear about or see. And then from there, we're going to go over a meeting tip so that everybody can walk away a little bit better from Josh's advice. Josh, welcome again. Super excited to have you on the podcast.
1: Very excited to be here. Honestly, looking at some of the star-studded cast that's coming down the pipeline, I was a little bit surprised that I got the first invite, but you know what? I'm happy to take it just being a part of the group. But honestly, it's a huge pleasure to be part of this.
0: The person that I competed with for the first couple of years of my career definitely deserves a seat here. Super excited. But why don't you tell us a little bit around your journey? I know you went from a BDR after having a strong career in also varsity sports, and then all the way up into management as well. Would love to hear a little bit more around what that journey was like.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to dive in. I'll try not to talk too much about the varsity athlete thing, because I don't know if many people actually care about that. But I think there's some cool tidbits in there that kind of led to, and honestly, some of the success I was very fortunate to see later in my career. Going into university, I used to play volleyball very competitively. I played through provincial teams, part of national teams, and I was very fortunate to play in university as well. Uh, And I used to be a setter in in volleyball. And for those who don't know what that position is, it was basically the quarterback of the offense, but in a volleyball term. I was 6'4 back then. I've grown a little bit since, but 6'4, probably 190 pounds. And I struggled to put one foot in front of another. Coordination was not my strong suit for how fast I grew. But I remember going on recruiting trips out in Western Canada. And the one university that just really stuck with me and the coach that really stuck with me was at Mount Royal University. And it was between me and another setter for the same position. And I, at the start was rejected for the team because they didn't think I was good enough, but was offered a letter later on. Because during my recruiting visit, after or between workouts with a coach, I asked if I could go work it on my own to keep improving my craft too. And I guess he he saw a little bit of potential. Even my first year in university, I didn't get a locker. I had a little trolley on wheels that I put my gear in at the start of the year. and was very fortunate over the five years in college to end up graduating. I played middle at the end, so like a linebacker, running back type position. I ended up being a Canada West All-Star MVP for the team and stuff like that. So it was a pretty cool story from there. After university, I was very fortunate to... Uh, find a position at Vidyard as a BDR, almost didn't get hired. I remember my final interview with Michael Litt, back when Michael would actually take the final candidate interviews at the scale they were at. Michael asked me what I knew about MarTech. I had no clue what MarTech meant. I didn't (laughs) even know that was a word. And so needless to say, it was not a very good interview, but I was very fortunate to still land an opportunity there because I saw some potential in me, worked my way up the ranks to... The accounting executive team here at Vidyard or at Vidyard worked my way into leadership and now very fortunate to see myself at HubSpot. It's kind of cool. note summary.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think one trend that I love about your story that again, if someone looks at your LinkedIn profile, they just see like promotion six months later, promotion year later, and you just have what everybody dreams their LinkedIn profile would look like one day is every single one of those roles. I think so. I don't know of one where at least one person was very against hiring you into that role. And that's something that is, I don't know if like you wear that as a badge of honor or how you feel about that. But I know from an AE perspective, when you're trying to make that move from BDR to AE, not just getting your first BDR role, there was also some adversity there. Do you want to talk a little bit around that?
1: Oh, 100%. I actually think this role at HubSpot was the first role, unless somebody just hasn't told me something, that there wasn't a Probably a very a very big red flag saying don't hire this man. So very hopefully it keeps going on the trajectory it did, but maybe we'll see. But that BDR to account executive story, what ended up happening is through the hiring cohort, there two very talented BDRs coming through the pipeline. One of them was in a ended up going to an enterprise account executive role, and one of them is actually going to be on your podcast later, Janet Scapinello, and. They were incredible, destroying their numbers. I was decent. I was like third or fourth best BDR out of the 12 we had. I was hitting my quota, but nothing crazy. I was just doing a good enough job, to be honest. And there was an opportunity open on what we called Sales Labs, So the emerging markets team for Vidyard, which sold to companies at the time under 50 employees. So very small business type sales. And the the team was crushing it. I really want to be a part of it. And so I had applied to the accounting executive role went through my interview process and the feedback from the hiring managers that I was like a bull in a china shop. I had no conversational fluency. And there was even concerns at one time about me being an HR nightmare, because I would say exactly what came into my mind. And that didn't always end up going really well as a younger person in a sales role like this. So I got a lot of very harsh criticism and feedback and candid feedback as well through that opportunity. And I remember looking at it that I could either be a defining moment in my career and something I can look back on and be very proud that I was able to overcome, or I can let it be a limiting factor in my career. And me personally, there's nothing that excites me more than proving to myself that I can do something. It's like you said, it's something that's been a constant in my career where it really hasn't been about proving other people wrong, but it's more about proving to myself that I actually can and doing what's necessary to make it happen. So Jenna, actually, I stole this idea from her. When she was applying for the account executive role, she had offered to start working her own deals outbound and start getting coaching on the side and basically working her way into the position. And I saw that worked incredibly well for Jenna. So I said, what could it hurt if I tried it? I I wasn't off or gifted the opportunity with the same open arms. Jenna was a much more talented seller than I was at that point in time as well. But the hiring manager said, hey, we'll give you a shot. And I was ended up being very fortunate that I closed the deal that was twice the, the average deal size of the typical transaction in that team about three or two months into me. And so the next time where they were looking at an opportunity that, to open up on the team, somebody else ended up turning down the role, which left a nice little opening for Josh to squeeze his way in there. First couple of months were super rough, was nowhere close to quota, but I was able to get a lot of really good coaching along the way. And for my fourth month Till my 20th month before I got a sales manager, I doubled my quota every single month after that. Uh, So it ended up being a very good news story, but it was definitely not an easy sailing on the way up there.
0: That's definitely one hard feedback to hear initially. The standard feedback of, hey, let's improve your discovery a little bit more. But kudos to the manager, right? Giving you direct feedback around how they actually feel. But also like a lot of reps hear feedback that one aligns with what they want to hear And they'll take that feedback and then hear other pieces of feedback that doesn't align with what they want to hear. And then they just close their ears and don't listen to it and hit their ceiling because of that. And it's, I think one of the really incredibly admirable things about you is the ability to hear feedback, good, bad, or ugly, take it in and execute against it. So I think that's really helped you get to where you are today. So maybe from the perspective, Josh, of. Your initial few months as an account executive, you mentioned that it was not like sunshine and rainbows by any means. How did you, one, get through that period of time without getting let go, like just straight up, and then secondarily, like actually get through to the other side and become such a a successful rep?
1: Honestly, the biggest thing that I could say is that I was very fortunate in the fact that I had maturity to focus on what was in my control. Um, and that's like the simplest way. And I'm happy to go deeper into it. But the way that, that the ramp worked at the time, it was a three month ramp period. So the first month was like 25%. Second month was like 70%. And the third month was your full quota. I was very fortunate to hit my first month ramp. I had four months of pipeline to build into it. So incredibly, somehow I hit that, that 25% target. I missed my second month ramp by 70%. So I only hit 30% attainment. I think I I missed my third month ramp by $100, but it still wasn't very good, especially as a ramping rep compared to the rest of the team as well. Um, But the aspect that I really just tried to focus on was that I needed to prove to myself that if this is really what I wanted to do, that I wasn't going to let anything stand in my way from getting there. So in all honesty, I went a little bit crazy. My focus was that if I wasn't great at selling, I had to be great at everything else to prove that this is where I or that I where I where should be. So the mentality I took was that I needed to be the top of every single dashboard. No matter what, no excuses. If, if I could do that, it was only a matter of time until I was great. And obviously there's a huge caveat behind that because it's not just quantity, there's a huge quality aspect to it as well. And that was part of the game I wanted to play. But the quick math I did in my head is my quota was, $10,000 for argument's sake, it was higher than that, but say it was $10,000 a month. If I had a 5% conversion rate to reaching out to accounts, to booking a meeting, I knew I had to create my quick mask and a suck $20,000 or whatever worth of pipeline. That's not good math, but, and so I just knew based on my current conversion rates, what was the work that I had to do? And then I just had to hold myself accountable to doing it. Now, again, I was very fortunate along the way that I had really good coaches and mentors that were willing to work with me and help give me coaching. And again, just listening to very harsh criticism along the way, because it was not pretty. I remember when I started managing teams down the road, there was one sales rep that, that I was managing that was really hard on themselves through the ramp because they didn't think they were ramping fast enough. I got them to go watch one of my old call recordings that we had saved so that they can see what was possible too, seeing where I started to somehow getting to where I got to as well. Honestly, in the sense that If you want it bad enough, you can make it happen. They ended up being a very successful sales rep at Bidyard as well. But I think that was the biggest aspect of my mentality that I was very fortunate to have. They ended up going really well for me. Just focus on what's in your control, be the top of every dashboard, and just make sure that you're actioning the feedback and the criticisms you're getting immediately. My goal is that if I got feedback at 10 o'clock, my next call, I was implementing that. And then I was sending that call back to my hiring manager to say, how did I do this? What can I change? And just... I don't know if this is the right term for being a glutton for feedback i just wanted feedback and i wanted ways to improve and i wanted to prove to myself that i can make it work
0: yeah no i love that and it's really about not giving up right just like keeping your foot on the gas and just going for it and then from the leadership perspective being vulnerable with your team right like we've all sucked before we've all had terrible months anybody that hasn't missed quota I feel like we should try to get them to miss quota because that's just not okay. And you need to at least miss it once to know how it feels. And I think being open with your team and being willing to tell them like, hey, like you didn't know all the answers and you likely still don't know all the answers is super important from a management perspective. One other thing that we do on the Meeting Mastery podcast, Josh, is we ask top sales leaders around what their top tip is for sales reps. What is one thing that you would get any sales rep out there to ensure that they're doing well on sales calls.
1: My tip is in the spirit of the macroeconomic climate we're selling into, where we understand that if it took you, or usually take about 50% more effort today to do the same work done as it took six months ago. We know that's going to be a factor. We also understand that with things changing so quickly, things are also changing just as quickly for our customers and our buyers. So my tip of the day then is the aspect of closing on every call. And what I mean by closing on every call is whatever framework or sales methodology you like to follow, I, mine's super simple, is that we just want to make sure that we're basically using a closing plan every call and understanding stakeholders, timelines, risks, how they would overcome those objections and how they would articulate the ROI and past evaluations and just keep re going through those five, six questions at the end of every single call. More so that that you can understand what it could take for your customer or your client to come to a decision around your solution. The point is not to get somebody to buy or to pass. Our job as salespeople is to help people come to decisions and be project managers in that aspect so we can create accountability and more so that when we look to schedule next steps, it's not about me, the salesperson, Josh, want to book a next step. By understanding enough of what Ryan needs to do to come to a decision, we can make that next step about them and coming to their decision on their side. And you'll find that not only helps build more trust with your buyer, but it'll help
0: accelerate your deal velocity tremendously too. I love what you also said at the start there, which is asking the question around how they're going to articulate ROI. What do you mean by that? Why is that important?
1: There's a huge aspect in a champion sale that you want to make sure that your champion or the hopeful champion that you have understands how to sell your solution internally for you. If they don't, Do you really want them to pitch your solution to their boss before you have a chance to make sure that they know how to do it? And that's a big thing behind it is how well can they articulate the value of the solution you have internally, or is there more coaching that needs to go involved before they should have that conversation and making sure that we can have that conversation with our prospect. And sometimes it can be a bit of an awkward conversation, but we have to frame it in a really nice way too.
0: Who would have thought you're going to be your prospect sales manager for a little bit there, but it's needed. You're absolutely right. I think so many reps just leave it up to chance and it's, Yeah. X person that I just met a week ago is now going to go pitch a 30 K deal. We'll see how it goes. They need preparation and you're that person that prepares them. I think that's such a good tip. Really appreciate the time on the podcast today, Josh.